0: Hello, America. Happy Sunday. So grateful you can join us. Man, we got a great show for you. We're going to kick things off with our exclusive interview earlier this week with House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and that FD1023 FBI informant document, Explosive Revelations. They started at just the news. James Comer has a big update on them. You'll hear about that at the top of the show. Then Senator Marsha Blackburn, always fighting for common sense in Congress. She's going to join us from the great state of Tennessee Senator Marshall Blackburn. Always fun. Congressman Troy Nels from Texas. He's got a few thoughts about the January 6th exclusive reporting we've been doing. Congressman Andy Biggs. Well, he always makes news. He's part of the rebels trying to hold Kevin McCarthy's feet to the fire to get bigger spending cuts in the federal government. And we'll finish up with Tamara Farah, one of the great minds in the conservative movement, talking about a lot of the issues pending before the American people as we head into the election. So we've got a great show. Senator Marshall Blackburn and James Comer at the top of the show right after these messages. House Nutrition, and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Just News. That's TNUSA.com slash Just News. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Somebody that's on the trail of a corruption scandal is Congressman James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee. He has been fighting to make public a document the FBI has had since the summer of 2020, alleging a bribery scheme involving Joe Biden back when he was vice president. And we're very lucky to get a firsthand update from the chairman right now. Joining us is Congressman James Comer. Congressman, welcome back to the show, sir. Thanks for having me back. So you've done a lot of work. You're doing a lot of explaining to your colleagues, to the American public. This bribery scheme, I get a sense, and I've been doing a lot of reporting, that this does involve the country of Ukraine, a place where the Biden family has a lot of tentacles. Can you confirm that for us?
1: Yes, it is Ukraine. This uh, uh, Form 1023 uh, involves uh, a business person uh, from Ukraine uh, who allegedly sent a bribe uh, substantial bribe to then-Vice President Joe Biden.
0: And if I could furthermore, there's a name I've been very familiar with in that uh, country, uh, Mr. Zolchesky, Mikhail Zolchesky, owner of Brisma Holdings. Does he come up in this scenario at all? I, I,
1: I probably better uh, punt on, on that question. Okay. In fact, John, <laughs> the name was redacted. It so was. Uh, Okay. Yeah.
0: I understand. Okay. Speaking Thank you, of the
2: redactions obviously sources and methods. These are the types of things that should be redacted. That's understandable. Um, how much was redacted? I mean, it was so much redacted that you didn't learn anything or was there just a little redacted as it should be? And you learned a
1: lot. I would say 10 percent of the document was redacted. That's actually pretty good by FBI standards uh, for when they bring things to Congress. But <laughs> the redactions are very important. I mean, the redact, they redacted a location of the meeting, they redacted uh, what could be a bank, which as you know, John, that's what my investigation has been centered around, following the money trail. The money trail from foreign nationals to the Biden shell companies to the Biden personal bank accounts. That's what we've done in Romania. That's what we've been doing in China. And now uh, we wanna start trying to do that in Ukraine. So there are other countries as well. Uh, I believe that what you're gonna see from this uh, Form 1023 is very consistent with what we've already found in Romania, uh, that when then Vice President Joe Biden was in the country and he talked about foreign policy decisions and foreign aid and things like that, Uh, two weeks after he flew out of Romania in Air Force Two, then the family started getting wires from Romanian foreign nationals through shell companies that were then filtered down to the Biden family
0: members. Uh, the pattern is starting to become clear because that's clearly what happened in Ukraine in April of 2014 as well. Uh, so, I want to ask about something. The Democrats have tried everything. They said, oh, this is Rudy Giuliani intelligence. It was shut down. It, it's, it's all hogwash. I understand, and I want to see if you can help us confirm that the, the allegations were first brought by this informant in 17 and then again in 2020. So, there's a consistency over multiple years. Can you give us some insight into that?
1: That's exactly right, John. Uh, This first started in 2017. There are two notes or footnotes, whatever you want to call them, they listed them as notes. We'll say footnotes for for better explanation uh, that referenced 2017 and it was either 2018 or 2019. So this wasn't the first time that the informant had mentioned a bribery scheme uh, pertaining to Joe Biden to the FBI. So I think what we're gonna find out is the same thing we found out in the Treasury Department with the suspicious activity reports, once you get in there, there's a whole lot more of them than what uh, was previously reported. And this particular form we want is very important, but I can already tell from reading the form, there are other forms as well. So we don't know how many uh, Form 1023s pertaining to Biden and bribery there are, but uh, hopefully, Uh, We're going to send a message to the FBI if they don't comply with with my subpoena in the next 48 hours. And and hopefully uh, from that point on, we can we can start having a better uh, level of cooperation with the FBI. Absolutely.
2: Well, and sir, you you bring up something that I think a lot of people would wonder. Uh, 2017 being the first time, 2020 being the second, at least two times that we know of concerns were raised. Um, The fact that there was a subsequent 1023 in 2020 tells me that this person was still being utilized for that purpose. Therefore they were trusted. They were a trusted informant. If they were so trusted, then they would have started this investigation in 2017 and now six years later, does it make sense to you that they're still investigating this?
1: Yeah. My theory is they never investigated the claim to begin with for whatever reason. Uh, but now, according to the FBI, they can't hand this this document because they said it's part of an investigation. You know, I asked the question and they wouldn't answer. Well, when did the investigation? Well, first, I asked which investigation and they wouldn't say. We assume it's Delaware. It could be the special counsel looking at Biden's mishandling classified documents. I, I don't know. But at the end of the day, did they know about this Form 1023 before I subpoenaed it? And I'm pretty confident, John, that the answer, Amanda, is they did not know about it. Uh, I don't think that, for whatever reason, this made it up to the chain uh, at, at the FBI. So, you know, uh, we, we one would wonder what would have happened if it had been a claim against Trump, uh, if it would have made it to the top. But But regardless, <laughs> this, in my opinion, has never been investigated by the FBI because, you know, when you, when you first read about it, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that a vice president of the United States would try to take a bribe uh, from a, from a foreign national in a, in a company, in a country that's uh, at the time not noted for anything other than a lot of corruption and then asked that the money be sent through shell companies and various banks. Uh, to launder it to where no one would know about it. That's hard to believe. And then a few weeks ago, John, we had the press conference, and we started talking about the shell companies and the bank accounts and the laundering money and filtering it down to the Biden family members. And I think uh, the the whistleblower realized, oh, my gosh, you know, this, this is something that came up a long time ago, and the FBI never investigated it.
0: It is remarkable. So I want to ask, uh, do you have any evidence that the allegation was that Joe Biden himself ended up getting the money or did the money go to his family and he took care of the policy issue? Any sense of a follow the money route that might lead to Joe Biden itself?
1: No. And, you know, I wonder if some of the redaction pertained to banks because banks were mentioned and then you started having the redactions. But look, uh, I've determined a long time ago that there probably were some offshore Bank accounts. I mean, there are a lot of banks that are referenced in communication that, that we're gathering, uh, not just from, the, from the, obviously from the laptop, but from other sources that are, are working with us. Uh, so I believe that, uh, not only were banks in America used the ones that we've already subpoenaed and some that we're fixing to subpoena, but I believe there were banks in other countries as well. So, uh, we're, we're going to continue to follow the money, John. I can't emphasize enough how many banks that this little family dealt with i mean the the biden family from a quote business standpoint isn't a very big business family and and i don't know anyone that would use 30 40 50 banks to to have different accounts to transfer around i mean if you had legitimate operation that's a that's an awful lot of paperwork, a lot of compliance, a, a lot of running around. I mean, it's just, it, it's not normal behavior. And it's not normal behavior to have all these shell companies. You know, I've said this and and I wish That's the press would, would question the president on this. What legitimate business did you have? I haven't found any business that the Bidens were a part of that produced any good or service. So they had, they had no legitimate business. It was a scam from the beginning and this FBI document was, was was recorded years before anyone knew about the shell companies or the bank accounts. So that's why we're concerned about this document.
0: It's consistent with what we've already found in Romania and China. That's remarkable, sir. The work you've done, uh, the attacks you've taken and rebuffed and the work you've done to get the American public is so important. We're learning so much. And uh, I want to thank you for the update today. It's a lot going on. The vote is likely to be Thursday on Contempt. Is that right, sir? We've got it scheduled for Thursday morning at 9 a.m. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Senator Marshall Blackburn from Tennessee right after this. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out or a family member for free, what a great opportunity, folks! Financial experts thought we were in the clear, they were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon, it can't. The US is 34 plus trillion dollars in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Our next guest tonight serves on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and she just sent a very important letter in conjunction with Senator Richard Blumenthal demanding answers from TikTok, as it certainly appears that their CEO lied to Congress about the storage of Americans' personal data in China. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn joins us now. Senator, thank you so much for being here.
3: I'm happy to be with you, and thank you for continuing to cover what is happening with China and TikTok and the data, the information from Americans. As I say, it is their virtual you, which is them and their presence online. And you've got the Chinese Communist Party that is mighty hungry to get their hands on that information.
2: Yes. Absolutely. And, and John and I have spoken about on air the, the type of content that's on TikTok in China compared to the type of content that's on TikTok here in the United States. But there are over I think we're over the 100 million uh, million account number here in the United States. As far as Americans who have that data, they had initially indicated that that data was stored here in the United States. But this letter is because it appears it's right over there in their backyard. That is that is so true. And during our hearing
3: with TikTok, I asked their government affairs representative what they did with that data. And it was, oh, it is all kept here in the U.S. And I said, well, what about your parent company, ByteDance? And the Chinese Communist Party has a member on that board. And the governance documents for ByteDance give them access to that information, oh, no, no, no. They can't get that. We keep the information of Americans in America. And then later their CEO in a different hearing said that it was either in America or the backup servers were in Singapore. Well, lo and behold, now we're finding out that that data is probably there in China and we're asking for some answers to this. Why are they doing it? Where are they storing it? What do they intend to do with this information? And what value is it to them? The privacy of Americans needs to be protected, whether it's in the physical space or the virtual space.
0: Yeah, such an important point. And you have led, Senator, on this from the very beginning. There's been an amazing dynamic in the last four or five months. Democrats who were uh, remarkably silent for years on this whether it's TikTok or other things, they all seem to be joining now in the same concerns that you've been raising. Why has that dynamic changed? What has happened that made the Democrats more willing to acknowledge China poses a threat on all of these different fronts that you've been highlighting?
3: That's right. And John, I think it was with people at home during the pandemic and seeing what their children were exposed to. As you have had these big tech social media platforms push content that children would never be exposed to in the physical space, but online, drugs and alcohol are marketed to them. They meet drug dealers. They meet pedophiles. You have pornography that is pushed at children in the virtual space. And you couple that with China's aggressiveness. People have seen this and now they're saying, you know, maybe China does want to be globally dominant and maybe they really are trying to spy on us. The Chinese spy balloon. Was something I think that was maybe the tipping point for a lot of people. I know a lady from church came up to me and she said, Marcia, Mm -hmm. after the spy balloon, I'm beginning to think all this stuff you've been saying about the Chinese Communist Party just might be true. And, you know, people started to realize that China is trying to market to them, China is trying to take their privacy, China is trying to build a virtual you of them and their information online. china They're seeing what China and some of these tech platforms are doing to their children. And people have said, hey, wait a minute. You know, China is way too aggressive. The social media platforms are too aggressive. We have to do something about this. Yeah.
2: Senator, your time on Capitol Hill, um, to borrow a phrase from my parents, you have made hay while the sun has been shining and you are very effective. And you uh, I wanted to talk about this bill, the End Child Trafficking Now Act, and some of yes. the information that you spoke about when you introduced this on the floor of the Senate, um, a 1,675 increase in asylum cases in the past decade, 20% Kinship claims proven fraudulent in twenty nineteen. We now know about the eighty five thousand minors released into the interior of this country without sponsorship, without parents. And this act directly addresses that problem of human trafficking, child trafficking across the border by utilizing something that the Biden administration just threw out. Can you talk to us about how important this familial DNA testing is?
3: Yes. The familial DNA testing is an imperative because you do have people that present at the border with a child in tow. They claim to be a family, but there is no relationship there. And we also know that the cartels in Mexico have a practice that is called child recycling they take these precious children they put them with cartel members that they're trying to sneak into the country and then they present at the border as a family claiming asylum they have falsified and forged documents with them Uh, so it appears on paper that they are related. But when you do the DNA test, you find there is no relationship. And the cartels have wised up, and they continue to try to push these individuals through. So my legislation would force the Biden administration to return to the DNA testing, so that you know for sure if a child is related to an adult. This isn't a lengthy process, takes about 45 minutes. That's it. Think about it, 45 minutes. Maybe you're saving the life of a child. My legislation specifically would require deportation of anybody that refuses the DNA test. If they are found to be trafficking a child, in other words, if the DNA doesn't match up, then it's a 10-year mandatory sentence. It also would criminalize the practice of child recycling. Believe it or not, we have nothing on the books that makes that a criminal practice. And then the fourth thing is that it would require DHS to process these children as unaccompanied minors. That way you can go find these parents of these children and return them to the parent or the next of kin. Uh,
0: Such important stuff. Protecting the most vulnerable victims in that open border. It's uh, a lot of people I know are thanking and applauding what you're doing, Senator. I want to turn one second. You obviously sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee. There has been a lot of polling out in the last couple of days showing that a majority of Americans no longer trust the FBI. They think they might be covering up for the Bidens. Last night, uh, Chairman James Gomer came on the show and he said the FBI first learned of the FBI bribery investigation in 2017, it came from an informant who had been paid two hundred thousand dollars because he was reliable. And here we are in 2023. The concern that the FBI might have kept that secret all through impeachment, through the election, through the Hunter Biden laptop fiasco. Uh, Is there reason to distrust the leadership of the FBI right now?
3: John, I have to tell you, when I am talking to Tennesseans, they are absolutely appalled at the conduct of some in the FBI, and many of them know people that— work with the FBI. There are good people that work there, but you've got this political cabal that is weaponizing the FBI and DOJ against private citizens for their own political power. That is why Mm -hmm. they're doing this. And people are appalled. They feel like they need to figure out if they see somebody or hear something from the FBI, has this been done by one of the good guys or is this by one of the political guys so they know how to take it, whether it is actual and true information or if it is something that they are using. But your point, I wanna just touch on this for a second. The point you made about they knew about this. They had this document. Mm -hmm. It goes back to 2017, and they've hidden this. They took an action, which was to go in and keep this from the American public.
0: Oh, we got a good one coming. Hold your seat buckles. Troy Nels is going to be joining us, Texas Congressman, got a lot to say about January 6th and the exclusive reporting we've been doing here at Just the News right after these messages.
2: Congressman Troy Nell's uh, from the great state of Texas, member of the House Judiciary Committee. Sir, thank you for coming here tonight.
5: Amanda, it's good to be with you. You too, John. I like you, but I really like Amanda. <laughs> Who can blame you? <laughs> I do too.
2: He's the nicer <laughs> one, though. <laughs> Congressman, I wanted to ask you because we, we uh, played some footage for Senator Ron Johnson, and this is our third night of reporting on this footage that um, that is revealing a lot about that day. And so I just want to start with with. I guess a very direct question. What becomes of the reputations of the people who are on the January 6th committee, the people who orchestrated uh, these videos that they put out during their very, you know, overproduced committee hearings? What becomes of those reputations? Are they damaged at all?
5: Well, I, I think the whole sham committee, I mean, we said it was a sham right from the get go. We all know, and we've said it when she first, you know, uh, declined or or restricted uh, Republicans from being on the committee. It was the first time in the history of Congress, Nancy Pelosi rejected a minority leader's picks to be on that subcommittee. So she picks a couple of rhinos. She picked Kinzinger and and Liz Chady, both anti-Trumpers to fit in with all the other Democrats on that committee that hated Trump. So we know, and we knew way back then that what you're gonna hear From this committee, what the American people are going to hear is nothing but a bunch of half-truths and lies, and that's what we saw. And they're going to fabricate things, they're going to hide things, they're not going to ask the right questions, and people that started answering truthfully, they're going to interrupt, and they're going to actually, they control the narrative. They control the narrative. I think it's about time that the House of Representatives, and I would uh, get with Jim Jordan on this and say, Jim, I think we need to have a hearing on January 6th and get some of these characters uh, in front of our committee, like a Uganda Pittman and a Sean Gallagher, the old chiefs there of the Capitol Police. Uh, and, and Pittman, what I found out now with that retirement, getting retirement when she wasn't eligible, it stinks to high heaven, stinks to high heaven. <laughs>
0: Congressman, I want to ask about one other thing, because over the last few days, we've seen now empirical proof that they doctored some of the tapes. They put sound on them where there wasn't. Nancy Pelosi took the time during her exit from the Capitol, allegedly an evacuation, to have her daughter film her like it was a Hollywood movie. Um, do you think it's time for an ethics complaint? Will you or someone file an ethics complaint saying that the conduct of the January 6th committee was uh, not up to the standards of the, of the House of Representatives?
5: I would agree. I think Benny Thompson, Benny Thompson now was the puppet and and, uh, Nancy was the puppet master. And and I think it's important that we expose these. We need to get the thousands of hours of video. Why wouldn't that be uh, able, why wouldn't the American people be able to see that unless there is some real true security concern or something so graphic that you wouldn't want on TV? But, but I think uh, that members of Congress that would like to review all that video footage should be able to review it. But Nancy kept it hidden. She didn't want anybody to look at this. Now they picked and choose what they wanted to expose during that sham committee. They got people screaming, they found the worst 10 minutes inside the Capitol. But when you truly see the video, there are hours and hours of no violence, nonviolent protesters just walking around inside the Capitol, waving their flags, singing God bless America. I mean, there were many, many people inside that Capitol building that day that didn't violate any law, didn't hurt anybody, didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Mm. Sir, for those
2: of us who have read your book, I think a lot of people would argue that there's more truth on one page of your book than there was during that entire committee hearing. Of all of the information that you've observed, including what you put in your book, what do you think the most important uh, truths are to enforce that counter the narrative that we've gotten from Democrats for the last two years?
5: That January 6th, one of the darkest days in history, should have never happened. But there was one person, if you put Gallagher in it too, the other chief, Uganda Pittman had all the intelligence, the leadership of the Capitol Police which ultimately answers to Nancy Pelosi. They had all the intelligence that extremist groups are gonna be there, white supremacists, they were all coming. The Capitol building itself was the target high propensity for violence, it was all there in the intel brief and they didn't share it with the officers. The 1840 men and women are Capitol Police and some of them were physically beaten, no question, because they were unprepared. If you see them that day, none of them, very few of them had any shields, they didn't have anything because they weren't shared the intel. So the point is, January 6th should have never happened. The National Guard should have been on our nation's capital January 4th. January 6th would have never happened. You've gone to Pittman, I need five minutes with her in front of a judiciary hearing. I need five minutes.
0: Yeah, that that is an important player who hasn't gotten the sort of scrutiny or questioning that she deserves. It sounds like you may be able to deliver that. She got a pay
5: raise, John. She goes to UC Berkeley. She's making almost $300,000 a year. That's a reward. Nancy finds her a job in California.
0: Unbelievable. (laughs) So I want to turn to another thing that your committee is working hard on, and that is the FBI weaponization. Today, we have two really extraordinary disclosures on Justin News. First, this morning, a story I wrote that said the FBI used uh, the Russian disinformation excuse not only to fool all of us during the 2020 election about the laptop, but to formally stop FBI probes of Hunter Joe and James Biden in 2020. And then today the FBI comes in, finally brings that document uh, and says, oh, we can't release this because three years later now we're looking at it. I want to get your reaction to both of those. I think heads could heads should roll. Comey and all of them, I tell you.
5: I think uh, James Comer is doing a great job with government oversight reform. He's getting to the bottom of this. I think the American people, they want answers. They don't just want them. They're demanding answers. Putting a little pressure on uh, Chairman Comer, but he's a smart guy, very smart guy. He'll get to the bottom of it, but he needs to continue to press. We need to continue to dig because I tell you something, when we no longer, as the American people, can trust the FBI, The FBI, when we can't trust the FBI, and then that agency is then used to to go after their adversaries, the political adversaries, I tell you, I don't really think it's the average, you know, uh, FBI agent that's out there doing a good job trying to identify child molesters and going out there and catching real bad guys, but it's that leadership. It's the individual leaders that are meeting with the DOJ and, and, the, and the President of the United States trying to find a way to protect them and protect their party. I tell you something, it's a bad day for America. I think people should be going to jail, if not prison. Jail, if not prison, once this investigation is completed, because it's corrupt. The FBI is corrupt, and you can thank the leadership for it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And sir, with regards to this, as Comer put it, highly trusted confidential human informant, there's a real clean answer on Capitol Hill when someone is being asked about an investigation, an answer that just shuts down any further questioning. And it is it's an ongoing investigation. This is still an ongoing investigation, according to Director Ray. Do you buy that?
5: Well, it's going to be an ongoing investigation. I'll tell you, Mark, my words. Those same words are going to come out of his mouth until the 2024 election is over with. (laughs) It's going to be an ongoing investigation until after November 2020, the the election. They're not going to. Absolutely. It's going to be. You won't know that for another 18 months. They're going to have this election over with before they ever say, now we can give you an answer. It's going to you're going to have to wait. They got to do everything to protect Sleepy Joe and his corrupt family. That's exactly what they're going to do. And when you don't own the White House, and you appoint all these people, what do you think you're gonna get?
0: You're not gonna get a whole hell of a lot from them. Do yeah. You think, sir, that Chris Ray, we've got about 30 seconds left, uh, Did Chris Ray's part of that protection racket right now?
5: I think they all are. I think they all are. I mean, I, you know, he was a Trump appointee, wasn't he? I think he, yeah, was, he was, but yeah. you know, we've had a lot of turncoats. He's just not the only one. We've had some others you know, both in it. And I tell you, it's a big organization, the United States government. Donald Trump thought he could trust people and they would, you know, do the right thing. But obviously we find out in the end they weren't good people. They weren't good people. Uh, and and they, they actually absolutely just tried to destroy Donald Trump and shame on them. But he's coming back. He's coming back.
0: Congressman Andy Biggs, he's got a lot to say on a crazy week that included a major fallout between Republicans in the House, the indictment of President Trump, and of course, the extraordinary revelations of the memo that James Comer made available. He'll be talking to us right after these messages.
4: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
0: We're very lucky to have uh, Congressman Andy Biggs joining us. I know he's got some reactions about what happened today. I think we'll keep him for a couple blocks. Congressman Biggs, are you there? There you are. Good to see you, sir. Yes, I'm here. Your thoughts. I know you knew this was coming. We all knew it was coming. But to actually see it, 37 charges. um, Your your thoughts about what happened today?
6: Well, I've read the indictment. Um, You know, no one can be surprised that this continual kind of attack against Donald Trump has gone on. Uh, I'm not impressed by the charges, actually. Um, and I, I think there was gratuitous stuff even in that document. So, so not, not overly impressed, but what I will tell you is not only are they going after Donald Trump, I view this as an attack on, on anybody who doesn't tow what is now the new left wing authoritarian orthodoxy. And so if you're heterodox to that in any way, they're going to come after you. So they're going to attack Donald Trump. Uh, He's the symbol of it. They don't want Trump, uh, he's a great disruptor, but they also want to um, cause and engender fear uh, in everybody else who supports Donald Trump, I believe. Uh, To me, it was just, this is a issue, this is not a a real criminal uh, uh, indictment, and it's just really going to cause this country to further divide, And the schism is going to grow wider and greater, I believe.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
2: Congressman, what does it say to you that there, you know, oftentimes when you have this many charges, in this case, it's 37, very, very closely related, some of them even bordering on redundant. What does it say to you about the political strategy?
6: Well, it's it's like I've seen so many cases, uh, including when there were non-political cases, that you'll see overcharging on the part of the uh, the prosecution. They want to get as many counts and charges as they possibly can, um, and even if they kind of seem redundant, they're looking for um, charges that even right, though they may arise out of the same facts situation, they want to. They want that because it gives them greater leverage to try to uh, uh, elicit a plea bargain from a defendant in most cases. But this that won't happen here. But then, if they go, if this individual chooses to go to trial, and if they get it, there's so many avenues of success. So if you have 37 charges and you go to trial on all 37 of those, none of them get dismissed, man. Yeah, they, they just have to get one or two because there's jail time with all of those charges that they're asserting. And if that's the case, uh, that, uh, then then they're going to go after Donald Trump. And that's really what they want, uh, to, uh, to get him thrown out of the business, if you will, to emasculate his, his election attempt. But I think it'll backfire on him. But it's all done to get leverage uh, when they actually go to trial, if they go to trial, and if they win for sentencing yeah. purposes.
0: I want to ask, there are now several things floating on or out there about the conduct of the government during the Trump classified documents investigation. One of them is a statement by uh, the former special agent in charge of the FBI in Washington saying the raid wasn't handled the normal way. He had some concerns about the way it was done. And then this morning, one of President Trump's lawyers on CNN said, hey, uh, there is one of the prosecutors in this case was talking to a witness, trying to get the witness to flip. And he went to his lawyer and said, I know you, the lawyer, are up for a judgeship. If you get this done, maybe something good will happen on that judgeship with Joe Biden. Those sort of things seem to fall into the purview of congressional oversight. Will Judiciary and Oversight maybe look at some of these things?
6: Yeah, I think so. Um, when you start talking about, uh, let's, let's take a look at the way the Mar-a-Lago raid was handled. Uh, it was very different than, and I'm glad that, that the... Uh, agent in charge of the D.C. station uh, has come out and said that. I mean, we, you would not have expected a, basically a, a, a riot, a SWAT team pistols drawn, guns drawn to con- converge upon former President uh, Trump's uh, abode uh, when you re- realize that he also had secret service that protects him all the time as well. It was really bizarre, in my opinion. But, uh, but beyond that, uh, this this notion of, of are we going to take a look at this if you've got a bribery issue, which is what that is, That type of coercion. Uh, the judicial branch should be suppressing evidence based on that. That is warrant that would warrant uh, it could even warrant a dismissal in some some respects. But the Judiciary Committee and the oversight Committee, we need to incorporate that in. I mean, because both of those get into this notion of the weaponization, Special uh, Committee of of the House of Representatives, because it further indicates how the FBI, the DOJ, and other other agencies and departments of the federal government have been weaponized for political purposes, and that's the the purview of that committee. And that needs uh, they need to take a look at that as well. But I also think oversight committee should should be involved in that too. Yeah, important questions.
2: Congressman, one of our media peers over on a different station last night uh, floated the notion that if President Trump agreed not to run for president this cycle, that the DOJ might be willing to drop all the charges and it kind of, I think it has seemed to a lot of people all along that the ultimate motive was to preclude him from being able to run. Do you think that's still the case?
6: Well, I think it's, I think that's part of it. I mean, they don't want him to run for, for office. But, and they certainly, there are some of them that are so vindictive, vitriolic, that would would like to see him put in in jail in prison for the rest of his life. They they hate him so much, it's visceral. They're members of Congress that have that same kind of emotional uh, stridency against President Trump. But I think it's bigger, Amanda, in some ways, because I think, and Trump used to say this all the time, they're coming after me because they can't come after all of you. I think they wanna go after anybody who thinks differently than they do. Uh, It's this new authoritarian left wing orthodoxy and where you guys and I are, we're heterodox because we want individual rights and freedoms. We believe our heritage is good. We want our institutions of the government to be trustworthy and not to be used and abused for political purposes. Well, that's heterodox to their position. So uh, I think it's a bigger message they're trying to send. They're trying to send saying, hey, look. This is, this can happen to you, Andy Biggs, or John Solomon, or this can happen to you
0: if you don't uh, cower to the the new powers that be. Yeah, that is a very scary notion, sir. And uh, so many people say that now, they really feel like it is much bigger than just Donald Trump. sir. I wanna talk about uh, equal treatment under the law because we have three really famous political figures have all dealt with this issue of classified documents. Hillary Clinton, When she had her uh, server, not only wasn't she charged, even though the FBI determined she had been negligent in the handling of classified information, for a while she was allowed to just keep her records at her lawyer's office. They didn't come and raid her. They didn't do anything like that. Uh, President Biden had classified documents and other presidential records for five full years, either at his place in Washington or in Delaware. And he was allowed last summer to move some of them to his Boston lawyer's office. There was no raid of the lawyer's office or any of his homes. And then you see Donald Trump does it feel like these three cases have been treated differently to you? Well, yeah, absolutely.
6: I mean, uh, don't forget that Hillary Clinton also ran the bleach bit over to uh, when she had documents on her hard drive, classified documents, and then they destroyed the hard drive. And the, the uh, argument that the FBI Director Comey made at the time, well, you know, uh, negligent, nobody would prosecute, you couldn't win this case. Uh, and then you had Joe Biden, uh, got, he's, he, by the way, as vice president, he was not entitled to take any of those documents out, but he's got them all over the place. They allowed him to go in and and view the documents to determine what he wanted to turn over and what he didn't want to turn over. Uh, that, that problem is that you've re- uh, really gotten into this. Some people are calling it a two-tier justice system, but I'm gonna assert something more broadly. If you are in a two-tier justice system, you don't have a justice system, because a justice system, the way America has always understood it, is that everybody is equal before the law. It isn't like in George Orwell's animal farm that some are just uh, treated a little bit more equal than others. Everybody was to be treated the same. You don't have that anymore. And thus, I don't believe you have a justice system. Uh, you don't have the rule of law. And if you don't have the rule of law, your very idea and notion of liberty is in jeopardy. Yeah. Great point.
2: Congressman, we've just got about 90 seconds left. I know a lot of people in Washington would like for the American people to forget what happened yesterday, what what was revealed to Oversight Committee from that 1023 document. Can you just give us the highlights?
6: Highlights are this. A credible source, uh, Hunter Biden put on Burisma's board to uh, maintain access and relationship with his father, Joe Biden. They were each given $5 million through a series of of, uh, convoluted bank transactions and uh, LLCs. And the purpose was to get Shokin, who is the uh, prosecutor general for Ukraine to quit investigating Burisma. Uh, that's the highlights. I mean, and each one of those has expansion on it. Uh, the, the person who paid the money uh, said that he, he, he or she, we don't know who it is, felt coerced to do that um, and admitted that uh, although he didn't give the money directly to Biden, the money was directed to Biden through this this uh, web of uh, um, and maze of bank transactions and LLCs. That's the reality of it. Uh, it goes right into Joe Biden. There's going to be more documents that come out, and don't believe don't. Be, I'm there's going to be more stuff to distract. I guarantee you, but there'll be more documents coming out.
0: All right, don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to wrap things up with Tamra Fair right after these messages.
4: The 2024
2: presidential election is only a year and a half away. I know. And the fight for parents to control their children's destiny outside of their house and in their classroom is still underway. But the month of June marks Pride Month. And it seems as if the sexualization of today's youth is only more apparent to parents than ever before. Joining us now to talk about this very issue that she also wrote about in her latest op-ed is Tamara Farah. She serves as the Senior Advisor of Strategic Partnerships over at FreedomWorks. Tamara, welcome
4: back. Thank you for having me. Great to be with you.
2: Okay, so unless you live in a cave, uh, everybody sees rainbow stuff everywhere, it's Pride Month. And so I wanna ask you about your op-ed Pride Month and why schools are sexualizing
4: children. Yes. And that piece can be found in Town Hall. Thanks for mentioning it. So people can get more of the details. But first, let's be frank. And I mentioned this in the piece. Let's be frank about the big picture in America. Political leaders right with bureaucrats in tow, have been abandoning the spirit and function of our constitutional republic and sliding toward this socialist Marxist agenda for at least 100 years. Remember when Obama said we need to fundamentally transform America? Well, this is what these globalists want to do. And they are impacting many nations, including ours. So the key question in education is why? Why have public schools taken on this dramatic, life-changing social and sexual mission to seemingly lure children from their biological identity as male and females? Uh, Without parental involvement, like I've said many times before, a five, six, seven-year-old in kindergarten, first grade does not come to school inquiring about how to be a different gender. This is all introduced to them and pushed upon them. So this can't just be the latest fad or societal craze. So I looked and and have since found out that a number of people have started talking about this. About 100 years ago, Hungarian Education Commissioner Lukas brought Marxism to the West. He actually modified it for the West. He made a strategic decision to capture the hearts and the minds and ultimately the allegiance of the next generation. How? By sexualizing children in the schools. This was his concept. So if you think about what happens uh, when kids are separated from their birth sex, so that's a core identity item. And then they're separated from their families. uh, And you see that in these schools. They don't want the families included in this conversation at all. And they even tell children, don't tell your parents. Um, They keep things secret. And it separates them as a result from their faith, uh, which often a core belief in God relates to biological sex. I'm not, you know, that is a thing. Um, not for everyone, but it's, it's a core thing when you get down to it. So this enabled the state to have influence and ultimately control over the hearts and minds of the children. He employed this and I can share about what the Biden administration has been doing that makes it very fishy whether or not uh, to decide <laughs> that, in fact, it's happening here as well.
0: It is remarkable the uh, the amount of uh, uh, momentum that the Biden administration is putting behind this. And uh, mm-hmm. today, there are several states that have uh, gone out and tried to ban some of these things, for instance, not allowing children to go have transgender surgeries without their parents' consent. But today, a federal judge ruled, uh, he put the Florida law on hold saying uh, uh, gender identity is a real phenomenon. I want to get your reaction to that. The court seemed to be uh, headed for a collision that probably ends up at the Supreme Court, right?
4: I would like to see this go to the Supreme Court. I'd like to think I have confidence in the justices and the majority opinion there. Uh, Let's hope we can have that confidence um, in them. I think it's very dangerous and I'm not very happy with what I'm seeing coming out in the courts in some instances. So I'm hoping we can maintain the integrity of that branch of our government, because we know we already know that the executive branch has truly put children in harm's way with this agenda. You, You may remember President Biden signed on the first day an executive order. Uh, That supported LGBTQ and they do it under this banner of, you know, not wanting to um, have them feel marginalized. Right. And then they created a White House toolkit on transgender equality. I just think that's such an odd thing to do on your first day in office as a president. And then of course, his administration gets behind it, the U.S. Department of Education, implementing related curricula and resources because they don't like it to be under the banner of curricula. Um, As one school board member told me here in Arizona, it's the supplemental materials. And so there again, they skirt the edges and try to get all these books and handouts and lessons and things that children act out in the classrooms all around Gender and LGBTQ. Meanwhile, our kids are failing in school. And it's it's so sad to see that this agenda has co-opted the classrooms and the bathrooms of the schools in America.
2: Mm. Tamara, I want to go straight into this target controversy. A lot of people saw the videos a few weeks ago that went viral of the tucking underwear, among other things. These were items for children uh, that were kind of lending themselves to what you were saying about indoctrinizing and sexualizing children. Um, And then I just saw a news story that there are about 200 organizations, Glad being one of them, Human Rights Campaign, which don't even get me into the name of that organization and how opposite it is from what they actually do. But they have joined forces with about 200 other organizations calling on target to denounce extremism. Then we heard the story that there were bomb threats by extremists on the right. Then to come to find out, it actually wasn't those folks who called in the bomb threats. It was someone who was angry that Target removed those items from the front of their store. Parents just want to protect their children from things like this. It seems to me it's the other side that's calling for for violence, calling in these fake, yes. fake bomb threats.
4: Where does it end? Exactly. They, they set these things up and then they become the victim. And that's what the left loves to do. It's this whole agenda that they have when they talk about equality for trans um, and how it's a one sided thing where you, you're, you know, they want to force people, kids, whether it's kids in schools or parents or at the office um, or just in the neighborhood, they want to give people this impression that they have to fully embrace the LGBTQ and trans lifestyle, or they are not loving, they're not kind. Now, I think all of us would agree. We love all people. I love all people. I want my children to be kind and loving to all people, regardless of life choices. But there's a big difference between that and being shamed.
0: All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the Sunday Brunch edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Hey, we've got a great lineup this week. I'm going to be on the road traveling, but I, I did a bunch of interviews that I think will bring a lot to light. And tomorrow, we're going to start it off with Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch. He's going to take us inside the Trump grand jury, what it was like to be quizzed by Jack Smith's prosecutors. An unbelievable story from Tom Fitton. A lot of things he thought were abusive and unfair, even chilling to free speech in America. We're going to have that tomorrow. Don't miss that. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll be back tomorrow in the morning. Thanks for listening to John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News.